Uh, today, we are going to be reading a story um, about Jesus um, and his disciples being caught in a storm. A story that will be super familiar to many of you. Um, and I don't know about you, I don't have a lot of experience um, of fishing boats. Um, I, uh, my main experience of going out on a fishing boat um, happens to be on my stag do. Um, I celebrated my wedding anniversary, 12 years um, this year. That was wedding anniversary was yesterday, so it was just a few weeks back this time, 12 years ago. Um, didn't do it the night before. That's obviously sensible. A quick tip for anyone getting married soon, don't do your stag do the night before the wedding. Um, so we did it a few weeks in advance and we went sea fishing off the coast of North Wales. A um, bunch of us spent a very sunny afternoon on the boat, uh, all wearing shorts and t-shirts. The weather was delightful, it's a bit like it's been for the last week or so. Um, we caught a lot of mackerel. Um, I had to gut them all on the way back, which they thought would be... Um, something horrible for me to do. I actually quite enjoyed chopping the heads and gutting a bunch of fish. Um, but, you know, that's just me. Um, and then I got thrown in the water when we got back to the dock. I didn't get thrown in at sea. That would have been irresponsible. But they did throw me into a fairly fast-moving current and I resurfaced about 20 metres um, down the shore, safe and well, mercifully. Um, but that is my experience of fishing. Um, it was a sunny day. I was wearing shorts and T-shirts. There was someone else driving the boat, um, they told us what to do, and we just had a lot of fun. But I think this is a fundamentally different experience to Jesus and his friends. Um, here in Mark chapter 4, and um, we're going to be reading, um, seeing this story, and the biggest peril, you know, the biggest peril I faced was being, was being thrown in the water when we got back to shore, and maybe going some fish. But in this story, um, it's the storm that threatens to throw the disciples overboard um, and into the sea. And this story, um, we find it in all three of the synoptic gospels. That's the gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke, that take a similar view of the events of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in all three of those. They all give us slightly different accounts, but all the same basic details. Um, the Gospel of John is a bit different altogether, but um, we'll talk about that another day. But altogether, these four Gospels give us a brilliant picture of Jesus. Um, I've chosen Mark um, because untypically for Mark, um, he actually adds a few extra verses, a few extra details in here. Uh, Mark's usually uh, the, the lowest word count of all these stories. Um, he's ruthlessly efficient in his storytelling. Um, but I think there's a few interesting things in here in Mark that I want to pick up on. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Um, and this is titled, Jesus Calms a Storm. So on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking on the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Um, so just quickly here, so Jesus has been teaching, um, he's been teaching people all day, and so he decides to get in the boat and go over to the other side. That's what he's been doing. And then um, it's fairly well known that on the Sea of Galilee, um, these storms can arise kind of out of nowhere. So the weather conditions can be calm and breezy one minute. And then all of a sudden, there can be some fierce maelstrom has been sweeping in. Um, and it can, can rock the boat, quite literally. Um, so... Yeah, so the, the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I was... The cushion. I don't really understand what, what a cushion 
it's not even just like a cushion, it's the cushion. Because we're meant to know that obviously this fishing boat has a cushion. So it's the cushion rather than a cushion. Um, Jesus is asleep. He's got his head down on on the cushion, whatever the cushion is. Um, some people seem to think it might be maybe some sandbags that are in the stern of the boat um, for, for ballast to keep the, the boat down um, in the water. But either way, Jesus has got his head on this thing. Um, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what to say about this passage? There's a lot to observe here. And one of the obvious big takeaways we get at the end here is that Jesus has command over the wind and the waves. Um, And the disciples are amazed at this because it's only the creator God who gets to tell the wind and the waves what to do. And we know this because back in Genesis 1, it's the voice of God who speaks to the wild and chaotic waters and brings them into order and correct function. So in this very act, Jesus is identifying himself with that divine creator. So that's one thing we could say about this passage. But the thing that strikes me for us today, here in July 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, having our plans disrupted through isolation, is the fact that it doesn't really seem to be in Jesus' plan to still the storm. He does so when the disciples question his commitment to them. (laughs) and says, don't you really care about us, Jesus? But it's fairly clear to me that without the disciples waking him up, Jesus would have slept through the storm and only got up once they'd reached the other side. And I'd hazard a guess that we would find ourselves in the same place as the disciples here. We'd be asking Jesus, why is he not doing something about this situation? You know, we're only too ready to protest about our discomfort and the unfairness of things that aren't going our way. God, don't you care? Don't you care that this isn't what I wanted? God, don't you care that things aren't right? In our society, we crave comfort and certainty. You know, we want the easy way out. Think of how many gadgets are marketed at you because they make your life easier. They make your life more straightforward. They guarantee a certain outcome. And that outcome is safety and comfort and security. But this isn't the life that Jesus offers. What instead he offers is enough peace to sleep through the storm. It's the promise of his presence with us through these many trials of life. You know, we've been in our own number of storms, a whole bunch of different storms, some of them together. Some of them maybe a bit more feel like they're on our own. You know, this pandemic at times has felt like a storm. We've been through a rough year as a church family together, haven't we? And I know many of us are facing stuff in our own lives and in our families that is far from ideal. It's far from the things that we would want to see. And I believe in the power of God to break through in a moment. 
And that much is obvious from this story, right? And so many others in scripture, Jesus has the power to calm the storm. He has the power to open the blind eyes, to open the deaf ears. He's got the power to speak to COVID and command it to stop dead in its tracks. But for some reason right now, that's not happened. Maybe Jesus is asleep in the boat with us. And I believe in that power of God for breakthrough, for miracles, for healing. So I will stand with you and I will pray for you in whatever storm you are facing. And alongside you, I will ask Jesus to wake up and speak to the wind and to the waves and tell them to be still. I believe in a God of miracles. I believe in a God of breakthrough. But I also believe in the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I believe in Jesus, the fullness of God in human frame, asleep in the stern of the boat with his head on the cushion while the maelstrom rages all around us. And Jesus himself, he was no stranger to this kind of unanswered prayer. You know, he asked the father if he really did have to die in the garden. He wept and he cried out before the Lord. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup, this suffering that he was about to drink down. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I think it's because Jesus knew what was on the other side of his suffering. He knew what waited for him on the other side of the cross. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. It says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because he knew what was on the other side, Jesus knew the joy that waited for him. He was able to endure. And I believe one of the reasons that Jesus was able to sleep through that storm was because he knew what or who waited for him on the other side of the lake. You know, if we were to continue to read on the story in Mark, heading into chapter five, we'd find that the moment Jesus steps out of the boat, he's met by a man who's suffering terribly who's filled with and tormented by unclean spirits. And Jesus commands the spirits to leave. Something odd happens with a bunch of pigs and the man is left in his right mind, whole and healed and wearing clothes again. And Jesus knew what waited on the other side, an encounter with a precious child of God who needed his help and his healing. And he counted the endurance of, of going through the storm as worth it. And he was able to hold on to peace in the process. And I think one of the things that will help us get through to the other side is a vision for what awaits us there. I believe Jesus knew who he would meet once he got out of that boat. And I believe he knew the prize that awaited him on the other side of the cross. Your heart and your mind united with Jesus forever. You know, Paul knew this. He wrote in the book of Romans, in Romans 8, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's glory waiting. And Romans 8 says the whole of creation is waiting for it. And the whole of creation is going to benefit from it. And I'm reminded again of Psalm 
23, when David describes walking through that valley of the shadow of death. And he says it's in the presence of his enemies that the Lord prepares a table for him. We'll go back and read this whole Psalm 23 in a moment. There's not some big rescue. (laughs) The shepherd doesn't scoop him up out of the valley and just plop him on the other side. But he walks with him through the valley. The Lord at his side. But there's three things I would want to take away from this passage in Mark. The first is that it's all right to ask Jesus for help. The disciples did it. Jesus rebuked them, but he did what, he, what they asked him to. Jesus is really kind. It's all right to ask for help. Jesus asked the Father for help. And you can too. So whatever you're going through, it's all right to hold your hand up and say, Lord, get me out of this storm. Would you, would you command the wind and the waves to be still? And that is okay. That is allowed. There's no prizes for not asking. So it's okay to ask Jesus for help. And um, this morning we don't have our prayer teams available because we've had to change plans a little bit. I would wager that that you have a friend in your phone book who you would be able to text and say, hey, would you pray with me about this this morning? Because I'm in a storm and I need the Lord to still it. So if there's a storm you're going through, invite a friend to pray with you this morning. Text them and say, would you pray with me? And they will stand alongside you. And if you haven't got a friend to do that, you can get in touch with me and I will pray with you. So it's all right to ask Jesus for help. The second thing I want to take away from this passage is is what is waiting for you on the other side of the storm. Begin to imagine the things that the Lord has for you on the other side of whatever storm you are facing. It's because Jesus knew what what awaited him, who awaited him on the other side of the shore, that he was able to go through that storm because he knew that was someone who the Lord had put on his heart who the Lord had appointed for him to be with, to love, to serve, to see healed and whole. And then the third question is, where is Jesus right now with you? Is he asleep in the boat with you? Where's Jesus right now? He's asleep with you in the boat, maybe. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's he's not asleep. Maybe he's just right there alongside you, speaking to you. But friends, I can tell you that Jesus wants to walk with you through the valley. In fact, let's read Psalm 23 again. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, as I read this Psalm 23, I'm reminded of this simple meal that Jesus gave us of bread and of wine and how he took it and broke it 
maybe he opened the top of this little sealed capsule. I think it was a little bit different for him. It's also really warm in here. There we go. My, my, even my sweaty hands were able to open this. But Jesus <laughs> took this bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. So take and eat of the bread that you've got in front of you. Remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and gave thanks. He poured it out. He said this. He didn't say this is really hard to do with a mic in your hand. But I'm going to open that later. But he said this cup. This cup is my blood poured out for you, shed for you. And it's in this meal, I believe, that Jesus makes himself known to us. You know, the church has known this for a long time. We call communion a sacrament. It's a means of grace. It's one of the ways that the Lord makes himself known and present to us and with us. So take a moment, take that bread, take that, that wine, that juice, whatever you've got. And remember that Jesus is with you in this moment. By his body and by his blood shed and broken for you. He made a way that he would be with you forever. That you would be able to be united with him. You were the joy that was set before Jesus when he endured the cross. You were the one that he crossed the stormy lake to see. That you would be his and that he would be yours. That he would never leave you or forsake you. That even through the valley of the shadow of death, you would not be afraid because you would know his rod and his staff comforting you. And he would even sit you down in the presence of your enemies for a meal and anoint your head with oil. Your cup would overflow with the goodness and mercy that he would pour out on your life today. So friends, I pray that just even in this moment as we sing again, that you would know Jesus with you. You would know him close by you. as we remember his faithfulness and his presence with us. Jesus, would you make yourself known to us again? Come and make yourself known to us.